Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Now, folks, how does this apply to us? One benefit of being generous is that it helps us to have victory over the natural pull of our hearts to be stingy and cheap and coveting. It is a habit that needs to be nurtured. You need to call out to God to help you to be generous. All of us are greedy by virtue of being sinful, fallen creatures. Not one person in here was was born generous and just wants to give everything away and not think of themselves. Now, I wish we could just stop and ponder that statement for a while because there's a lot to deal with in that truth. But we need to move along today because Pastor Steve Kreloff has a lot of ground to cover. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, and we're just now getting into chapter 9. It begins like this, For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. You see, giving can be inspirational. Here's Pastor Steve. About two years ago, I was with some friends in a, uh, a restaurant, uh, sort of a bakery restaurant, and all I could think, I was hungry. All I could think of was one of those things, you didn't sit down and order, you went through the, the line and picked out what you wanted, and all I could think about was eating. But you know what? There was a, a homeless man who was there. He was sitting off to the side. I think he may have had a cup of coffee, and, and that was it. I mean, he looked homeless. He was obviously very poor, poorly dressed. And while I was thinking about stuffing my face, uh, one of my friends went over to him and said, would you like a meal? He said, yes, I would. He said, well, come with me. And my friend took him to the counter and said, order whatever you want. And you know what? When I, when I saw that, I was deeply convicted, deeply convicted, because honestly, I never thought about anybody but myself. And as we left that bakery restaurant that day, I just sort of stayed back from others who were walking ahead, the group I was with, and I said, I confess my sin to the Lord of my self-centeredness and, and lack of generosity. And I said, Lord, I want, I want you to do a work in my heart concerning being, being generous. And God has been, been working in me. But where did it start? It started because somebody was a model for me about generosity. Somebody stimulated me to be generous because I observed their generosity. And quite frankly, what I have learned the most about generosity comes from, from being around people who are generous. I've seen it displayed. I've seen it illustrated. I've, I've seen it lived out. I've seen it modeled. And you know what? It is stirred within me. It has provoked me. And that's the word Paul uses here, though he's using provoke in a good sense. It has provoked me to be generous myself. And, and that's the point that Paul is making here. The Macedonians got excited about generosity because they saw it modeled with the Corinthians. Now, you think your giving 
can impact others to be generous, not, not just in the collection, but in other, in other ways. Now, keep in mind, we, we don't give to put ourselves on display to say, look how good I am. We're doing this for the Lord's glory. We're, we, we want to be careful about this because there are some Christians who love, like the Pharisees, who love for you to know how much they're giving and, and what they're doing. And that's, that's not the point here. The point here is that you do model before others. You are a model of either being generous or not being generous. For example, you parents, what do your children see in you as far as generosity? What are they observing? When you go to a restaurant, are you generous with the server? You may think that's unimportant, but you know what? An extra dollar or two will not only enhance your testimony at a restaurant, especially if they saw you pray, but it will also send the message to your children. For the small amounts of a dollar or two, you will be making a major, major impact and in, in influencing your children about generosity. How are they going to learn to be generous? You need to, you need to display it for them because what you are, they will become. Be generous. Be generous. And, and not just parents, but all of us. All of us need to be alert to be generous so that others around us would be motivated to give liberally, to be those kinds of people. We, Christians are to be the most generous, magnanimous givers, not, not just in, in church, but certainly that's the heart of what he's saying here, but in our lives in general, not stingy, not cheap. We understand our God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, and if you need some money, he'll sell one of those cattle for you and provide it. He'll do that. And as a church body, just like the Corinthians before the Macedonians, we have a responsibility to model generosity before other churches in order to set a standard for them. Let me, let me give you an example of how this works. We support many missionaries on the field, and we hope to support more missionaries, and we hope to support more of our own people going to the mission field. What do you think our giving to support a missionary on the field says to the church that that missionary is pastoring? You know what it says, or that he's involved in? It says that there's a church in Clearwater, Florida, United States of America, that cares so much about the gospel that they're willing to pay and spend money to send this family here. Now, do you think that church is going to think, you know what, if they're doing that in Clearwater, Florida, and, and they think about giving and are generous, we should do that as well. And they should be thinking about supporting missionaries and sending people out and doing all that and being generous, we have the opportunity to demonstrate generosity before churches all over the world through our missions ministry. We have the opportunity to, to stimulate others in our own community to give as they observe us as an independent church that has no, no ties to any denominations, no other money coming in. We have an opportunity to stir them up to be generous, just like the Macedonians were generous because of the Corinthians. I mean, think of the impact of that. For 2,000 years, Christians have been looking at the Macedonian Christians and being influenced by their generosity. It all started at Corinth. Just has an ongoing ripple effect. In his book entitled, Whose Money Is It Anyway?, 
John MacArthur reveals his perspective as a pastor on how members of a local church should view their giving. Often in John's uh, teaching ministry, you don't, you, it doesn't come across sometimes his heart as a pastor. He's very concerned about the text. But here he, he actually opens his heart and, and tells, tells us how he views uh, giving by members of a church, their stewardship responsibilities. And he breaks it down in three steps. And I think that this is helpful for us to hear. He wrote this, I quote, First, the people should give enough to meet all the church's needs. There should be no shortfall of resources. So number one, he's saying that what we give ought to cover our uh, weekly expenses. And that's right. Whatever basic ministry commitments exist, whatever basic expenses need to be paid, he says, there should be enough money to cover those obligations. That's called the weekly budget. Second, the people should give more than the church needs. They should give so that their church can expand its ministries by supporting missionaries, providing more assistance for those truly in need, having more printed material for local outreach, and training more people within the church. So what he's saying is you don't just give uh, because you're thinking of this week alone. You give with vision. You give to expand. You give more than it's needed so that you can expand your ministries. And that's exactly right. And then he says... And third, simply giving more than enough should not be the ultimate goal for a church stewardship program. Now, that may be surprising to you. Let me read that again. Giving, simply giving more than enough should not be the ultimate goal for a church stewardship program. Ideally, the people would give so generously and so magnanimously that their congregation becomes the standard by which other believers measure giving. End of quote we do have an opportunity to become the standard by which other churches measure giving. What we give week by week as a congregation is far more significant than just meeting basic needs. It's even more significant than just expanding. It is so significant that we have the opportunity to model stewardship and giving and generosity before a watching, not just world, but a watching church, other churches. We have that opportunity. So I, I just want, I, I just urge you to think beyond these walls, to, to expand your, your view, to see what we do here is not something that happens on a Sunday, but it does have an effect on the community and, and even churches around the world. Other churches know about us and we need to set an example before them. So what are the benefits of being generous? Number one, to, we demonstrate our, our love to others for the testimony of God's grace and power to change us. Number two, we stir others up to, to give generously themselves. Model that for them as others have modeled it for you. And the third benefit of being generous is this, that generosity overcomes the sin of covetousness. Now, this is, this is critical. I'm going to read to you verses three through five, and I doubt that at first glance it'll make any sense to you, but when we finish, hopefully it'll make sense to you. Paul says, but I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you um, may not be made empty in this case, so that as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you 
and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now, the reason that this is not that easy to figure out at first glance is because it looks like there's some conflicting statements. First, Paul starts off by saying, I boast about you Corinthians to the Macedonians. I'm, I'm boasting, I'm bragging. And then he ends up by saying, uh, speaking about the possibility of being put to shame by them, of being humiliated, embarrassed. What is this about? Let me paraphrase it for you and give you the essence of thought here. In essence, Paul is saying that it would be a shame and an embarrassment to, to him as well as to the entire Corinthian assembly, if after using them as an example of generosity to other churches to give, uh, you Corinthians failed to give yourself. You Corinthians failed in this area while other churches gave liberally. It would embarrass me, he's saying, that I've put you on a pedestal. I've bragged to the Macedonians and to other churches about how generous you are. You're so excited about giving to the Jerusalem church. But if we come there, and you haven't completed this, I'm going to be embarrassed. You should be embarrassed. These other churches are giving liberally, and you stopped. What an embarrassment. So in order, he says, to avoid this potentially humiliating situation, he said, I'm sending Titus and two other brothers ahead to uh, make sure that all the money that you promised to give to Jerusalem is collected before I arrive. Because when I arrive, when I hit town... I don't want you Corinthians hastily completing this collection with an attitude of we really don't want to do this, but we have to do it because the apostle is here and we'll, we'll give, but we feel pressured into giving. And Paul said, I don't want that at all. I don't want you to give motivated with a stingy heart. I want you to give because you really want to give, not because you were stingy and covetous and, and you gave, but you didn't really want to give. That's what Paul is saying. That's the essential meaning of these verses. But I want you to notice the last phrase of verse 5 because it's the, the really, in many ways, the heart of what he's saying. He says, and not affected by covetousness. I don't want your giving to stem from a heart of covetousness. The NIV translates this not as one grudgingly giving or given. What Paul desired for the Corinthians, what every pastor desires for his flock, that they would experience the joy of giving generously. There's a joy. He wanted them to give because they wanted to give, not because they felt like they had to give. Because you know what? If you give because you feel like you have to give, you're giving, but you're giving with a heart of covetousness, of, of being greedy. And that's what Paul said, I don't want. I don't want you to have to put it in the plate because you know I'm arriving now and you never wanted to give in the first place. Now, covetousness, what, what does the Bible mean by coveting or covetousness? It's the same thought of greediness. The Greek word indicates that, that to covet or covetousness is the greedy grasping for more at the expense of others. In other words, a covetous individual grasps to acquire more and more and more and to hold on to what he has and not to let go of it. That's coveting. That's coveting. And the Bible condemns coveting. In fact, the Bible says it is an ugly, repulsive sin. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 says that uh, the reason he, really, he knew that he was a depraved sinner is that he saw the commandment which said, thou shalt not covet. And Paul said, I, I couldn't deny it. Even though I was a religious Jew, even though I did all the ceremonies and all the rituals, when the commandment came, he said it, it, it killed me. It killed me. I was slain. I was slain. I was a dead man because I realized that I was a covetous individual. Psalm 10, 
Verse 3 says this, For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. Along with greediness goes a cursing and a spurning of God. Greedy people hate the Lord. It is a wicked, wicked sin. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus just nailed it. He nailed it because he said that where covetous stems from is the wicked heart of a human being, the depraved, fallen nature of all of us. Mark chapter 7, verse 21, for Jesus said, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Jesus, of course, was addressing the issue of what you eat does not defile you. What you eat does not defile you. But what defiles you is what's inside your heart. That's what's defiling. And covetousness is inside the heart of all of us. In fact, Paul The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, verse 5, and Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, he equated coveting, watch this, with idolatry. To be a covetous individual, he's not talking about struggling as we all do with covetousness and jealousy and things of that nature, but he's talking about to give yourself habitually to being, uh, to practice uh, the sin of covetousness is the same thing as, as being an idolater. He says in Colossians 3, 5, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed. He equates all those other sins with greed, he says, which amounts to idolatry. Idolatry, Ephesians 5, 5. For this you know that with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. It's a serious sin. In fact, so serious, do you realize that Paul in in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says, if there is a so-called brother or sister, we would say, a Christian in your congregation who is covetous, that's the practice of their life, and they will not repent, they ought to be disciplined. They ought to be put out of the membership of the church. He said that 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 11, but actually said, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. That's a, that's a serious thing. Paul, Paul equated the sin of coveting with the sin of being drunk and immoral. And you know what? The Corinthians had a, had a problem in this area. They had a whole background of being covetous. They, they were saved out of a lifestyle of coveting, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. If that's characteristic of your life, you're not a believer, he says. Such, he said, were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Paul said you were, along with all these other sins, you were covetous, but God saved you and he cleansed you and you're saved and you're different now. And Paul said now in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he said, I don't want you falling back into that sin. God saved you out of it. I don't want you to fall back into being covetous. I don't want your your giving to be to be characterized by hearts of covetousness. Now, folks, how does this apply to us? One benefit 
of being generous is that it helps us to have victory over the natural pull of our hearts to be stingy and cheap and coveting. It is a habit that needs to be nurtured. You need to call out to God to help you to be generous. All of us are greedy by virtue of being sinful, fallen creatures. Not one person in here was was born generous and just wants to give everything away and not think of themselves. And the way the way you counteract this natural tendency, this pull of our of our hearts, this grasping for more and more money and things, is to just give your money away. Give it away. And certainly, don't hear me saying you don't have responsibility. Obviously, you take care of your, your needs, your family. But we're talking about having an attitude of generosity. Give it away. Cultivate the habit of being generous, and you will fight this sinful pull to be covetous. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. There, there are situations I find myself in that I have to force myself to work on being generous because everything in me cries out not to be. And I have to force myself to be generous. That's how you do it. You, you ask for God's grace. But if you're not generous and you allow covetousness to control you, then Paul says you're going to fall into the sin of practicing, practicing this greediness, which is idolatry. You, you've made an idol of something that you want so badly that you greedily grasp for it. That, that's the danger of this. It may be clothing. It may be a new computer. It may be some furnishing for your home, a car or a boat, whatever. If, if you want it so badly that you won't be generous because you've got to have this and you're driven with this desire, nothing else really matters. You're willing to sin against God to get this, then you have become an idolater. Certainly, it's not wrong to have desires for these things. It's fine to have a desire for these things, but it is wrong to covet them and greedily grasp for them and to think I won't be happy if I, unless I get this. See, God calls us to worship him through generous giving, sacrificial giving, and that's why being generous is so beneficial because by generosity, you do worship the Lord and you overcome the idol of covetousness. Let's bow for prayer. And as we are before the Lord, you and I need to ask ourselves and we need to ask the Lord, how does this apply to us, Lord? What can I do in response to your word? Well, several things. First of all, you need to have a a change of mind about your giving. It is significant, little or large. It is significant because it provides the opportunity to demonstrate that God is changing you into a loving person who thinks more about others than yourself. And when we give collectively, we have the opportunity to prove that we are a church that loves, that that we're not just here studying the Bible so that we can fill our heads with information. So you, you need to, first of all, understand and really realize that your giving is significant. Secondly, your giving serves as an example to motivate others to be generous. What kind of an example are you displaying? What, what are you modeling to your children, to friends, to loved ones? What, what are you modeling? We're to model generosity. We're to model generosity. We're, we are to be a model to other churches for God's glory. Thirdly, it's the only way to really overcome the natural pull of your heart to be covetous and greedy. It's to be a way of life for us. And if you are a believer, then obviously these things are for you to apply in your own lives. Be, be generous. Ask God to help you. 
ask him to help us as a as the testimony of our church has the opportunity to to impact others. And that if you don't know Christ, then be aware that the greatest giver of all is God himself, for he gave his only unique begotten son to pay for our sins. And if you'll just repent of your sin and turn to him for salvation, he will save you, forgive you, and he will begin to change your heart so that you can turn into a generous person as well. Father, thank you for your word, for this passage of scripture. Thank you, Lord. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And I pray that you will help us to receive all of these truths this morning, Lord, so that we would, would see giving as something that is beyond our own little world. It's, it's not simply a private matter between us and, and you, but it does impact others. And I pray that you'll help each of us, Lord, to work on this, to, uh, to allow you to continue to transform us into people who think more uh, about esteeming others more important than ourselves and giving and giving and giving. Lord, may we be a church that stands in this community as a testimony of your grace. Lord, not to exalt ourselves, but to exalt the one who has saved us and who is in the process of sanctifying us. And I pray that you'll draw to yourself, Lord, those who need Christ, those who who need to understand that uh, Jesus, though, rich became poor, that we who are beggars might be spiritually wealthy by salvation. And we pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For more information about Lakeside, call the office at 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. I'd also encourage you to check out our audio library, which you'll find by clicking on the message archive link at versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. Pastor Steve has two more messages to go in this series about generous giving. Until we meet again, here's a thought to ponder. If you had a fistful of dirt, how could anyone put something better into your hand if you refused to open your hand and let out the dirt? Next time on Verse by Verse, we'll consider the importance of opening our hands. Faith Talk, weekday mornings at 9. We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525.